0: going on this is episode 10 of mental vacation hour and today we have joey sturgis man how are you doing dude Uh, i'm great man i i love the
1: name of your of your podcast mental vacation hour that's awesome
0: thank you man thank you thank you yeah man um dude i mean you you are a legend dude like the bands you've worked with in the past that shaped like who I am, man, as like a musician and stuff. I mean, the, the albums you've worked on. I mean, Devil Wears Prada, We Came as Romans, Of Mice and Men. I mean, dude, you shaped an era that. I mean, I wouldn't be making music today if it wasn't for that. So thank you, dude.
1: You're welcome. The that I've worked with. Uh, you know, it's so weird for me because it's like obviously it's a it's a big part of my life. Um, and I wish that there was something about it that was a little more intentional. Because when, when people like, <laughs> you know, they're like, thank you for doing that. And I'm like, yeah, but like, I don't, I just was there. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I, was just a, I was just a part of it, you know. But uh, I'm very grateful to have been a part of, of so many awesome records. I mean, at this point, I think I've done over a hundred um, and... You know three of them have gone on to do well not the records but three songs that i've worked on have are gold certified which is crazy to think about i just never thought that i would have any of that or do any of that kind of stuff um now it's kind of like you know how do i get a grammy but i think that's far off but you know hey keep shooting
0: (laughs) Yeah, i do not think it's far off dude i mean you i feel like uh the time when you were you know a part of those albums you you set this like new standard i feel with like the sound of records and everyone in that scene i feel looked up to you as like you know like um the godfather of just being (laughs) the producer mixing mastering of these albums and you know, like yeah. At the time, like you know, I was making like post-hardcore music with my band. I mean, now I I make like indie music and stuff like that. But you know, at the at the time, yeah, th- I feel like there was a lot of bands that looked up to you know the sound that you were behind.
1: Yeah, it, it was off? my it was literally my uh, business card, if you want to put it that way. You know, because. Um, as soon as I made one record that was like a body of work that kind of represented like all the stuff that I could do, which I think kind of maybe the first great example of that is the first Prada record. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Once that came out, like people wanted to not only do what Prada was doing, but they wanted to like do it the way that they were doing it. And Mm -hmm. so obviously that sort of makes me a part of that. And so, you know, that band goes on, puts that album out, they go on tour, they talk to bands backstage, they talk to bands on tour. And of course, that's just going to bring you business because at that time, that was like the, the kind of music that people were gravitating towards and that they wanted to write like that. They wanted to record like that. And it brought me a lot of business. And so, you know, I have to be thankful for like those first few big projects that that I was trusted with because they really did build the foundation of the, the rest of my career. I mean, I also, sometimes I, I talk about it negatively too, because it's like, I'm known as like Mr. Metalcore, but I'm pretty, <laughs> you know, I'm pretty talented. Like I, I could produce a country song, no problem. Mm-hmm. But does it come across my, my, my desk? Not really, you know, but
0: mm-hmm.
1: it makes sense. And um, so it's cool that, uh, I got to be a part of such a big movement in music and, you know, obviously music is always changing. The trends are always moving around, but that was something I felt kind of special. Like as far as metal and rock is concerned, it, it was one of the biggest transformations of that world. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to have been there at that time to be a part of it.
0: Oh yeah, man. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask because yeah, like you said, like, you kind of got um, into that uh, box. But how did it begin? Like, were you a part of like a band and then you recorded yourself and then were like, fuck it, I'm going to do it for other people and stuff? Or can you can you uh, kind of dive into that a little bit?
1: Yeah, um, I started off, I mean, you know, we go all the way back to when I'm like six or seven. I, I grew up in a musical family. My parents were on tour when I was born.
0: Oh, so, okay.
1: You know, like there's a huge musical background. But the thing that I try to make people understand is that that was like life. You know, music wasn't like, oh, he's going to be a singer. He's going to grow up and become a a recording engineer. It was just like music was just like a a thing in our family. Like we would gather around a piano and play songs at Thanksgiving dinner and that was just a part of life. It wasn't, you know, I always thought I was going to be like a computer scientist, like programmer kind of guy, make video games Mm -hmm. or something like that's kind of what I was going after. And uh, music was just a thing that you would do like with your friends, with your family, like, you know, it wasn't like a career oriented um, endeavor. And I never saw it that way, even though I had people who did have a career in music in my family, like my uncle, for example, is a producer in Nashville and he would come down every year like to my grandpa's house and talk about the records he's working on and bring some CDs with him and we'd all listen to his work oddly enough that did not inspire me like i you know i just didn't <laughs> i wasn't into it i don't know um but fast forward several years and i end up being the drummer of this grindcore band um while well, there's two bands that sort of started all this was one band was called um mutilated remains which is the mm. grindcore band that i was in and then another band was called Coraline, and that was a metalcore band that i was in oh, shit. and um in both situations i ended up being the the guy that would like record us because it, when i was like you know 10 11 12 i'd be messing around on a computer like trying to record stuff, like just for fun. Um, I even yeah. famously uh, took a uh, a microphone, a Radio Shack microphone, hung it on like a hanger above my drum set in my basement. Uh, we lived in like a, the house was like really small, but it had like three stories, you know what I'm mm-hmm. talking about? Mm-hmm. So like there was a laundry chute that goes through the whole house, all the way from the top floor, all the way down to the basement. <laughs> So I take this Radio Shack microphone and I like put it on tons of like jumper cables and it's just a mess. But I put it right above my drum set, run the cable all the way through the laundry chute, and oh plug it into my computer. I'm hitting record on my computer. I'm running three stories down to the basement, <laughs> jump on the drum set, play a drum beat with no backing track. I'm literally just playing to nothing. Right. Run all the way back upstairs, hit stop go back, listen to it, grab my guitar, play some guitars, like make up guitar stuff over top of it. And I do this like every week. I'm just like messing around. Oh um, God, so I kind of became the guy, right? Like the guy that just mm. messes around with recording on the computer. And when it came time to like kind of take the band in a more serious direction, like later when I was in my later teen years, it was like, Oh, well, we need to find a way to get shows. So, we should probably record a demo and upload it on MySpace so that, you know, people can hear what we sound like and that'll that'll help us get shows and stuff. And um it's funny because it didn't work at all. Like, once we had the demo done, we put it up and people would instantly message us like, "Hey, where'd you guys record? That sounds amazing." <laughs> you know. And we're like, "Don't worry about it. Like, we want to play yeah, shows, yeah. you know." So, um so it was super funny because my the vocalist in in my band was getting so pissed about it oh, and he's like man. are you like he's like are you telling these people about this and i'm like no dude like i don't even know who these people are and so like these <laughs> <laughs> these random ass bands from just like dayton ohio or whatever it's just like <laughs> blowing us up about where we recorded so eventually i talk him into it i was like all right well how about this Let's record them anyway. But then when they're in the studio, we can like try and be their friends and like try to get on their shows and stuff. Mm. So we thought that would work, but that didn't work either. Um, (laughs) No one wanted to play shows with us, but they wanted to make records with us. So that's kind of the short version of the story. But um, I ended up doing quite a few of those. Word of mouth started to spread. Um, The bands that I would record would go back home, upload the recording to their MySpace, which then got more exposure. Mm. And then it's just like the snowball effect of where, like you know, I work with one band, and that turns into three bands, and then those three bands turn to three more bands each, and then now it's, and it just that's all it took. I we had no, we literally had no website, we had no phone number. I don't think I even revealed my email for a while. And it was just like we had the site and people would talk about it and then people would kind of like give the information to each other. They'd be like, oh, yeah, you got it. He has no phone number, man. So you got to just like email him. <laughs> and that's that's how it started.
0: Oh, that is crazy, man. I mean, it, it's it's awesome, too, because there probably wasn't too many um engineers like like um, specifically doing that genre. So. You know like they didn't have too many options in in a certain you know city or state you know then seeing you like i mean it probably was way above the other um people in that genre's uh skill level when it came to that recording too so that you you were probably overbooked man it's probably crazy at that time right
1: well the thing that was kind (laughs) of wild about it is that like the options were these professional recording environments, which of course, in a lot of, in a lot of ways, they, you know, that stuff never was the correct place to, to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you're going to make a metalcore record. You're typically not going to do it on a big, um, console because I mean, I guess you, you can, and it has been done, but like what I'm saying is from my perspective, it's like, you could either go to this old fart with a big ass console with, with like, uh dusty pots and you're you know he's gonna mic your kick up with a beta 52 and it's gonna sound like trash or you can come to me and record in this little garage on a computer and no. your kick is gonna slice your face off and you know what i mean like it was that was what it was is like just mm. such a contrast of options and i was also cheap which i think was mm. the biggest thing because you go to that big studio that guy's got huge bills you know mm. So they're charging more. You go to my studio, my rent for the whole place including the gear and the spot was 500 a month. So I record like one band and I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I was recording like 10, you know, bands would come in for 2 days. And we would do like a three or four song EP and then and I, you know, I would make like 5-600 bucks. And uh yeah, so I quickly quit my job. I just started doing that because it was like more fun. And I was only making like six bucks an hour at the, I worked at a computer shop. Mm. So it was better for me anyway to like just work with bands and make a
0: lot more money. Mm. Damn, that's fucking awesome, man. And what? What? when did you feel that, like a shift to where you really did hit that professional level? Because, yeah, I feel like even pretty early on, like, you, you were on like a professional level, but when the, the bigger, like the accolades started coming in and, you know, even, yeah, just like around that time, when did you feel like you became a true professional at what you were doing?
1: I mean, I really have to like tell the story, the, the Prada story, cause that's kinda the best way to encapsulate the whole thing. It's mm. like the way it worked out is Coraline played a show at a coffee shop in Richmond, Indiana. The Devil Wars Prada was on the bill. None of us knew who they were. They were from Dayton, Ohio, right? So we're like, <laughs> who the heck is this band? Why is their name so weird? Like, you know, the whole thing. They show up, they play, they're set. I watch it. I'm like, this, I'm getting goosebumps right now, but I just remember being like, <laughs> this is crazy. Like, this is about to be that new wave. And I knew that I had to be a part of it and I couldn't, I was watching the drummer and I was like, I can't play drums better than that guy right now. So mm-hmm. I know that's not going to be my way in. So I'm like, my way in is I got to record this band. So I, I go up to them after the set, I hand them a CD, which was like our current, I think our current four or five song demo of Coraline that we had at the time mm-hmm. that I had just kind of finished. I, I was still working on it, but I had like a rough bounce of it. I handed it to him and I was like, Hey, um, know i'm the drummer from the other band but i also record and i'd love to record you guys sometime like here's an example of what i can do let's keep in touch so we keep in touch and um six months go by and i'm like man i haven't got these guys to come in yet like i I don't know if they're gonna do it and eventually they kind of let me down softly they're kind of like hey you know we we kind of want to just figure out this whole thing by ourselves and we want to record ourselves and So, you know, thanks, but no thanks kind of thing. And, um, I was like, just not ready to take no for an answer. So I really was very, uh, diligent. I just didn't stop talking to them. I kept emailing them random recording crap, just to hope that that would make me look (laughs) like I actually knew what I was doing, which at the time I really didn't, but I would just be like, oh yeah, I just got this new, uh, recording software. It's freaking awesome, man. Like, you know. So whatever I could do to like find a, an excuse to email them, I would do it. Like, or if I had recorded another band in that six months time, and I, I and I thought it sounded good, I would send them like, "Hey, I just finished recording this band. Like, <laughs> I hear the vocalist is friends with your bass player. Like, you should check it out. Yeah. You know, whatever, right?" So just <laughs> some of that crap. And then eventually, I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna have to make them like an offer that they literally, it, if they turn it down, they have to be stupid. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to record five songs with you guys for like 80 bucks and it, and I'm going to give you like five days of my, of my time to do it and take it or leave it, you know? And they, they did, they took it. So we made, during that time, we made Patterns of the Horizon, which is their first EP. Mm -hmm. Uh, They took that back home and did whatever they do with it, which I guess is just go to shows and give it away for free or whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and they got signed from that EP. I was like, all right, I know they're not going to come back to me. They're signed now. <laughs> They've got all this money. Like they could, you know, go record wherever they want. And, and, you know, at the time too, I think they were even kind of like fans of, um, uh, oh, what's that band? Uh, they got a song that's like "She's Dressed to Kill." Um, they were on Rise Records. I can't remember I know the name what of the band
0: you're talking about, too. Yeah, I can't think of the names.
1: And that band had recorded with, I'm pretty sure, Chris Crummett. So I was like, okay, yeah, they're mm-hmm. they're gonna go to him because they're fans of that band. That band worked with that guy. They're gonna just go to that guy. To my surprise, they came back to me and and I got the first record. So that was where it all began and a lot of that had to do also with Craig and Craig at the time wasn't in the picture with me. Mm -hmm. He was, he was like the guy I didn't know or anything. He was just the guy that owned the record label. But what ended up happening is I ended up doing several different projects that all ended up on Craig's radar. And when Craig found out that it was me each time, it just built up this like portfolio in his head of like who I am and what I'm capable of. And then he reached out to me and was like, Hey, I see what you're doing. And like, I want to be, a ma- I want to help you. And I want to be your manager. And so that's kind of, that's, that was the turning point is when it was like that Prada record got done. It came out. I worked with a couple of other bands. I did another rise record band and then like Craig reached out to me and was like, let's, you know, this, there's something here
0: man that's fucking beautiful dude that's so beautiful it's crazy how fake can work out like that but i mean you you definitely were persistent too that's that's definitely a main thing there too you know the the
1: desire to be a part of what they were doing was so high that i knew i knew that i couldn't let it let go of it Mm. it was it's it's hard to explain you know and i Mm. i still experience stuff like that to this day you know like um I recently have been chatting with uh in this day shell which is you know mm-hmm. Shaylee from my and, and has mm-hmm. his own band called day shell huge fan right mm-hmm. but i'm i'm weirded out by it because i'm like i don't know if i want to work on a record where i'm such a huge fan of it like i don't know if i can even be <laughs> ab- objective right like so like that's a tough thing to deal with but him and I were talking and he was looking for someone to do the record. And I was kind of like, yeah, maybe. Uh, and then he started sending me songs and then like, it was like song two or three that I got from him. I was like, dude, if I don't do this record, Holy shit. Like,
0: <laughs> so
1: once again, that feeling just gets inside of you and you, you, you're like, I have to be a part of this. I got to do this. And, um, that's what guided me into that project. And, and we just completed recording a couple, well, last month, And, uh, yeah, so that's, that's what it takes, you know, once I get the little, the bug inside, I'm like, all right, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get this project. And, and sometimes it, it takes a little bit of creativity, but yeah.
0: Man, that's awesome, man. Yeah. So when, when all of those other, um, you know, big projects that you were a part of, like asking Alexandria, all that stuff at that point were they wanting to work with you pretty much all the time or was it like partially you wanting to work with those artists how how did that go about so
1: once i had done like a couple records that were fairly like notable in the scene Mm -hmm. i became the go-to guy and and that was like there was no stopping it it was like you know that's when attack attack and then asking Mm -hmm. alexandria mice and men like we came as romans all those bands were basically from well not asking alexandria they're from europe but a lot of the bands were from that area of the midwest right so we're talking Uh, ohio illinois michigan um Mm -hmm. even kentucky sometimes right um and so i essentially just kind of became that go-to guy and 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 i was down with it because everybody would be like yeah we want to work with you and i was like okay cool i'll do it like <laughs> as long as people wanted me to be there i was there where it got tricky was anytime it was a, an artist that let's say they signed to like earache records and and then the the guy the a&r guy that signs them is like you guys gotta do your record with joey sturgis and the band's like who that <laughs> is where things got weird um, but in those scenarios, I proved myself like Oceano was a perfect example of like you know, they probably had heard of me, you know, they probably think of me as like the crab core guy or whatever. And here I am, <laughs> you know, trying to do a death metal record for them. And <laughs> but and I'm like, trust me, guys, like I can make blast beats, like it's, I understand how they work. I used to play blast beats in mutilated remains, <laughs> like you know, so that's how that worked out.
0: <laughs> no, that's awesome, yeah so what what um what were your days like then like were you working 12 14 hour days were you just like taking whatever you could like uh like hour wise of the day or like how 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 did the days go
1: yeah i have the i have this like famous phrase that i have been using it's like one band leaves the driveway the next one comes in like hours later (laughs) that's literally what it was man it was non-stop the clock day after day record after record i mean how else do you think i did 100 albums man like yeah i mean it was straight up out. 10 albums a year for 10 years straight like non-stop oh. and and <laughs> also in between there i would master stuff like i would mix other bands like i i did a lot of work and in my 20s I just didn't do anything else. Like that was just my life. You know, I didn't do drugs. I didn't drink alcohol. All I did was smoke cigarettes, drink coffee (laughs) and make albums. And that's, that was my whole identity. Um, and it kind of messed me up in a lot of different ways. Like I, you know, I actually had like a, almost like a meltdown. And that, that's when I kind of took a break in around 2015 or so. I was like, so jaded by the industry and just so like, you know, I was, I had been a part of so many things that I was just kind of like, is this all I am? Like, is this all I'm going to be forever? And it, I had to like step away from it for a little while and it gave me some clarity, but yeah, like the days were insane. I missed funerals. I missed uh holiday gathering, family gatherings, people's birthdays. Like all that shit just went out the window because I was working like every day. Um, and sometimes it'd be really tough. Like you'd be, I remember like when I was doing the Miss May I guys, it would be like, wake up at 6 PM and okay. go to bed at nine in the morning, you know, kind of shit. And like, you miss out on so much when you do that, because a lot of the world shuts down at like six
0: mm-hmm. people
1: get off work and they go home and they watch TV or they you know spend time with their family or whatever. It's like, I'm just getting up recording through the night going to bed in the morning not ever seeing the daylight and doing it all over again and just repeat 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 so that's yeah but I got pretty good at making records and um yeah I think I put the 10,000 more than 10,000 hours in so I think that was kind (laughs) of like the that was the trick is that I was able to do that because I was the only child I didn't have kids I didn't have like a, a really great relationship with any girl or anything mm-hmm. so it was just just pure grind and uh, and so yeah that I, I think that was helpful to me honestly mm-hmm. you know as much as it hurt me in some ways it definitely created some opportunities <laughs> for me
0: no for sure and yeah like like um, you said with the day Shell, album I mean you nowadays you can kind of just pick and choose whenever you feel like you know getting back into that but yeah you don't you don't need to did you feel at that time that you needed to keep going and not stop because you were worried about you know like becoming I guess irrelevant in the scene or you know like better people coming along or like how did you feel in that aspect
1: well there's there's a couple things at play I mean number one my living situation was amazing because once oh, I had gotten out of the garage, I, I moved into a house mm-hmm. and the the payment on the house was like 700 bucks a month. And <laughs> it was a four bedroom <laughs> ranch. So a four bedroom ranch at 700 bucks a month is like, I'm turning such a huge profit. It's insane. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm charging like, I, I don't remember the exact numbers, but let's just say at the time, maybe it was 10 K a record, but then that, gradually went up to 15, up to 20, up to 30, you know, that, that happens over the years. So what I saw was when I got to like, you know, making like $75,000 a year recording at my house, hell no, I'm not going to stop. Like Hmm. I'm making good money. I'm putting Hmm. money away. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm building a life for myself. That's how I looked at it. And, and so there was enough demand to keep me going. And, uh, also the, the second thing that was at play was my own insecurities and, and jealousy and things like this. Right. So like I, if there's a hot metalcore band on the market, like I want to be the guy that produced the record because I'm the metalcore guy. And as soon as I'm not that metalcore guy anymore, it's like, what am I? Because Mm -hmm. what did I do all day? I made records. And i'm not that great at starcraft so
0: uh
1: you know right so from my perspective it really was like my whole identity and if i didn't get a record sometimes it really bummed me out so it wasn't just about money either but um this idea of being great like you know having the basically the most perfect records you could make was kind of like the game and I was fans, you know, I was uh, inspired by like, you know, Mutt Lang, for example, which is famously known for doing like absolutely perfect records. Mm -hmm. But I was also inspired by Ross Robinson, who was known for doing really messy records like, you know, and and I don't mean that in a bad way, but just like, you know, try to put this first Slipknot record on a grid. It it doesn't work um, Mm -hmm. because it's not on a grid. So like I had like these different angles of inspiration coming through me but i was driven by the perfection i was driven by having the riffs be absolutely perfect absolutely in tune every single note at the in the right exact spacing every kick drum lined up with each chug like dead on you know going to extreme uh, lengths to pull that off um, and that's, and the bands loved it cause it made them sound amazing. Mm-hmm. It made them sound like they could play better than they actually could. And <laughs> so it was kind of like a thing where I became known for that. And I also got ridiculed for it too, you know, um, making people's singing voices a little too auto tune or whatever. Right. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think that it was a, it was a, it was a vibe for, <laughs> for yeah. lack of a better, Back, lack of a better uh phrase but yeah um nowadays i'm a little different i obviously i still kind of do the perfect thing uh if you want to call it that but Mm -hmm. i'm a little more on the like creative side like i i try to go after um the song a little more i try to think about the the experience the listening experience um rather than getting obsessed over like you know the perfection of it, if that makes sense.
0: I loved, I always loved the perfection of it though. That, cause it would be so clean, but still so like fucking heavy, man. And yeah, like I said, it, it really set a standard for just anything else coming out at that time. I feel that, yeah, it, it was just amazing, man. And yeah, again, kudos to you for that. Like it's fucking awesome. But I'm curious what music, were you listening to at the time was it a lot of metalcore or were you metalcore in the studio and like when you're done like i need to fucking listen to something else like what was your mind at uh
1: you you didn't listen to music if you were in my shoes and you were making Mm. that many records you literally did not listen to music Mm. you listened to what you were working on and that was all you had time to do Mm. um and you would listen to of course whatever was coming out right so bands in the studio they're sitting at the couch behind you you're editing drums or whatever some somebody walks in and goes oh my god like you know Suicide Silence just released a new song on MySpace or whatever right and it's like okay let's listen to it so you had those moments but and and honestly uh a lot of that was frustrating for me because um you know if you're in the studio and you're making a record and you've kind of already like halfway through it And then, like, some crazy, like, Bring Me the Horizon song comes out. And then the whole band is losing their mind. They're like, oh, my God, we got to fucking change these breakdowns and stuff. And I'm like, oh, come on, guys. Damn it, man. Like, so that there was a lot of that, too. That was actually why I didn't like listening to music. Because I just wanted Mm. to, like, focus on the project for 30 days and then move on. (laughs) Yeah. It would sometimes throw, like, a... how, How do you say that? Uh...
0: Curve balls and stuff.
1: Yeah, the curveballs were thrown, you know? So,
0: <laughs> Oh, man, that's crazy. Yeah, because that's when, you know, internet really started kicking up. And, yeah, trends were really, like, coming and going at that time, you know? <laughs> it's crazy. Like, But, dude, that's fucking... That's awesome, man. Um, where? So, when did everything else start coming into play? You know, like, uh, you said you... Took a step back is that when the other business ventures kind of started coming in is that when you started thinking about that kind of stuff yeah
1: exactly so the entrepreneur inside of me began to sort of blossom uh around the end of you know after i had been making records for 10 years <laughs> you know i started in like 2007 or well Technically, I started in like 2005. So around Um, 2015, which is like 10 years of making records, I'm starting to be like, all right, what else? You know, (laughs) and I had been selling drum samples. At that point, I had been selling drum samples since like 2009 or so, Mm -hmm. if I remember correctly. So i had already had a little bit of an entrepreneur side of me that was coming out a little bit. And you know, that was my side income. Like I, I remember famously being able to, cause I would sell everything on PayPal. I I set up my site so that when you bought drum samples from me, it goes into a PayPal account, right? Mm -hmm. And I had a PayPal card that was like attached to it. And it was like a known thing, like with my girlfriend, like, oh, we're going out to eat on, on PayPal tonight. Like what (laughs) basically meant was like, somebody bought like $200 worth of drum samples from me that day and i had that on this card now and we can go to dinner and, and it's like it's like i get it for free because i it's not no money from my bank account you know yeah
0: yeah. later on i learned
1: that you can't do that because uh you need to not do commingle business funds with other mm. things so i everything's set up completely different now but <laughs> but back then like you could literally like i i i remember too going like on the way to dinner and i had an email list so i just write up an email, like, hey, 15% off, you know, (laughs) and by the time we get to the restaurant, like the money was in the account, like it was, it was wild, but yeah, so the entrepreneur in me was like, Hey, you can do more. Like you, you're, you know, how to program, you know, how to make websites, you, you kind of understand like marketing a little bit, you should do more. And I got sick of just making records for people. I mean, that's literally as simple as I can explain it. Like Mm -hmm. I, I wanted to spend my wheels on something else and it had to be something that didn't involve anyone else. It had to be my own shit. So of course that pisses off my manager because now the manager's like, well, how much of your time am I going to get now? Because you want to go off and do this other thing, but I still want to like, you know, the way he makes money is that I get booked and then he gets a portion Mm -hmm. of the of the money. Right. So it was kind of like a conflict with him. And then it started to become like a conflict with like my regular clients because I started to get to the point where I was like, do I even want to still record you? Like, I'm not sure, you know? So as soon as that started to happen, it like kind of created a ripple effect in, you know, other bands started to figure out like, Oh shit, we're going to have to, you know, we ain't got Joey for sure anymore we might have to go somewhere else or there's also also other bands that were like, yeah, we've done like five records with Joey. Like let's, let's explore some other options. I've got, you know, my manager being like, well, I guess you're on your own kind of, you know, like, (laughs) so it's like all these things happening at the same time. And I'm like also taking a big risk on a whole new thing where I'm like, I'm going to start URM Academy and I'm going to start nail the mix and I'm going to start Joey Storage tones and, I'm trying to come up with these things that I, that make sense to me, but they're big risks because who knows if they're going to work. And I don't have that other income that was normally coming in because I'm not recording bands anymore. So I'm like living off the money I had saved. And meanwhile, just trying to make it work with the new ventures. And that was basically me embracing my entrepreneurial desires and, and trying to do something with it. And luckily, you know, within a year or two of that sacrifice, we did end up building something pretty, pretty awesome. And it started to take, uh, started to run. And so then it was like, okay, now what happens? Like, do we continue down this path or do I find a way to do both? And so for a while it was just down the one path, like I'm going to run these companies and we're going to scale them and that's what we're going to do. And I did that to the point to where now they're, you know, they're a lot more mature than where they began. And there's people to help run the day-to-day operations. There's different, you know, there's all these employees now. And it's like, okay, so now I have, I can pull back from that a little bit, you know, that business is growing, it's scaling. Let's, let's, uh, let's jump back into the mix on making, making music again. Hmm. Uh, cause there's a couple of people asking me to do it. And it was bands like attack attack came back after being gone for so long um also my wife is in a band called conquer divide so so like they wanted you obviously want me to produce their stuff and i had done their first album and they were working on a second album so it's in my household anyway like you know it's like it wouldn't it'd be kind of weird if i was just like nah
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly
1: so so like i kind of got into it because of that uh again and now i've worked with like you know uh well actually i'm not sure if i can say i'm working with that band so i won't say that <laughs> band but uh day shell attack attack conquer divide like you know i've been i've been doing some stuff so but nice. like you said it's it's totally by my own choice mm-hmm. you yeah. know it's not even i'm not even really making a lot of money from it um budgets have gone way down from when i was you know i remember what i could charge like you know fifty, sixty thousand dollars to make a record and you don't see those numbers now, but or at least I don't. So to me, it's more just like keeping myself like in shape. It's almost like going to the gym. You know, I want to mm-hmm. make sure I can keep producing songs and, and keep that, uh, those, keep those lights on for yeah, that, yeah. you know,
0: man, that's so, that's so fucking beautiful, man. Yeah. That, that's, that's so good because yeah, I feel you, you probably have such more of a, freedom now of just being able to choose when you want to do what you want to do. And yeah, so you said there's a team behind you now. Um, Like, what do your days normally look like now? Like, do you really get to pick your day to day? Like what you want to do that day? Or, you know, like, do you have a lot of work you're still doing in the back end of the businesses? Like, what, what does it look like now?
1: Yeah. So, um, it's funny because this is what I'm about to say is, was totally different six months ago. Um, Mm -hmm. believe it or not, my, so JST is almost 10 years old now. Um, yeah, started in 2013. So in October, it'll be 10 years. Wow. And believe it or not up until literally up until October of last year, that whole business ran out of my brain there's not a cer there's not a single written document anywhere Holy that explains shit. how anything works.
0: Holy <laughs> and shit.
1: when I got to the, like I just became pretty good friends with, um, my wife, uh, my wife's, we call him the step bro. He's not actually the step bro, but we call him <laughs> the stepbro. And he's a good friend of her family. And, and mm-hmm. now my side of the, my side of the coin. And, um, he's in process improvement and so like when i'm talking to him about my company he's his mind is blown he's like how are you doing this when you don't have any kind of like standard operating procedures you don't have any kind of project management system so he really kind of like lit a fire in my ass to like get my shit together so i last six months i've literally restructured everything to where we have like a hiring process we have a We have a firing process. We have a way to acquire talent. We have a whole project management system. We have a way to roll out campaigns. We have um, project management um, discussion meetings. We have a weekly schedule. There's a whole bunch of stuff that we didn't have. It was just sort of like shooting from the hip for 10 years. (laughs) And now we're like this structured entity. So my day-to-day kind of looks like my weeks are a lot more similar than they used to be. You know, Monday is like meeting day. Tuesday is like podcast day. Wednesday is like... Stand up time. So that's when you like look at everything that's being worked on during the week and making sure everybody has it that they need. Thursday is another podcast day slash meeting day. And then Friday is sort of like the follow up. Like, did we accomplish all the things that we wanted to this week? And what are we going to do next week? And what's, what's missing? Mm. And, um, I kind of just repeat that. I take weekends off now, which is a new thing for me. I haven't had weekends off like in forever. Um, (laughs) I still work though. Like it's hard not to work from your phone when you own a business and you run everything from your phone. Essentially you pretty much get caught up in working anyway. Um, there's always going to be questions or last minute items that you didn't get to in the week. So it's cool though. Like, you know, the team is doing a lot of the the heavy lifting. You know, we have a huge um, content marketing team that creates, You know, we, we churn out YouTube videos, Instagram posts, like, like no other. And then obviously we have DevOps, which is how we create all of our software. Mm. And it's basically a big team of 17 people that all work together every single day, um, from all over the world. And we're all connected through, uh, Slack, um, I also, my background with the computer science and all that stuff, like kind of, I understand like how systems work and how stacks work and stuff. So I'm able to go in and like build a lot of this stuff. So like when it was time to like actually get a team to work together, I knew how to do it. I just had to do it. Mm -hmm. And so I built like a whole project management workflow. Um, kind of based on agile, which is if you're in the corporate world, you might know what that is. Um, If you're not, you probably I'm speaking German now. But but yeah, we just have like we have like these weekly sprints and we just kind of have like uh, like a project management workflow that I designed for my team. And yeah, that's, I'm, I'm Mr. Business Joey now.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, but that that's beautiful, man, that, you know, you can take something, like you said, literally just in your head, and you you created this vision, um, and, you know, it's it's useful that you know, it's so nice that you um, know all the stuff like programming and whatnot, because, you know, that makes everything so much more smooth, and you know everything's right, you know, because yeah like that's important with a business and dude that that's just so awesome man yeah and the the content that you guys put out just like looks really nice and professional and sleek and dude it's cool to see how far it's come i mean 10 years that's crazy man (laughs) that's crazy Uh, yeah
1: like the thing i tell people too is you know the creativity that i would have put into a record is what i ended up putting into these businesses.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And really, when you think about it, like a record is a series of challenges or problems that you have to solve. It's like the, the, the song's too short. How do you make it longer without making it boring? The song is too long. How do you make it short without cutting all the best parts out? Mm-hmm. The drummer hates the guitar player. How do you get them to work together so that you can actually finish the record? <laughs> you know, it's a series of problems and, and solutions. And Business is no different. I mean, business is literally solving problems. It's what business is defined as Mm -hmm. creating products to solve problems and also solving problems that will keep the business going. So, for me, it's like a natural extension of my own natural ability to just be a troubleshooter. And, you know, I, I would say like my creativity too can be extended into almost any kind of medium. So, it's, I can you can play a guitar riff for me and I can tell you like something to do differently with it to make it more interesting, just in the same way that you can show me a a picture of a logo and I could be like, you should do this with it and that'll make it better. And so I'm able to do that over every aspect of of our creative process, which is the plugins, the plugin designs, what the plugins sound like, how they look, what the logos look like. What are the Instagram? What's the vibe of the Instagram? What's the style? How's the video edited? Like, what is the music behind it? Like, all of those things are all things that I do as a producer anyway. So mm-hmm. it was a very organic, natural step to just go from making records to making a software company. At least in my brain, it was. Mm-hmm. It, it. You know? And, yeah. So it's kind of the same. It's the same thing. I'm just using my, my creativity in a different way.
0: <laughs> exactly, man yeah as long as you have the creative brain i mean it's gonna follow with anything you do really like but so so where do you see all of this going you know over the long term like what's what's old man joey gonna be doing down the line
1: um when i'm real old like probably in my 50s and 60s i see myself running a bar or a restaurant oh nice um maybe uh if i get if I'm so lucky to retire. Yeah. Um, But until then, I'm on this pathway of basically trying to create, you know, use technology to remove barriers for music creators. Mm -hmm. I want to help people like make music. Like my wife, for example, she's a really great songwriter, but she is horrible with technology. She, her computer is a mess. It, it's always, crashing like she's not great with recording software like you know so i am so inspired by her struggles Mm -hmm. i watch her what she does i'm like why are you okay so (laughs) (laughs) so like it makes me think about products that i can make to improve not just her life but i'm sure several other people that are just like her Mm -hmm. um so that's kind of like the inspiration behind jst which is like we're a solution-based company where we try to make our, our plugins are based around problems that we want to solve for you. And we want to do it in a way that gets you closer to your originality or your creativity. So sometimes this means like removing the barriers of having to even understand how a compressor works. Mm-hmm. Cause I know when I started recording and mixing, I didn't, did not know what a compressor was. All I knew is that if I put it on my drums and I turned the knobs a bunch of different (laughs) ways, it like kind of made them sound punchier and shit. So like, that's my approach is instead of emulating 1176, which is something you've probably never heard of, if, if you're a young aspiring producer, or if you have Mm -hmm. heard of it, you've never touched one or even heard what it does. Why would you buy one? Why would you buy a plugin that emulates that when that's Mm -hmm. not even something you understand? So. I make products for the other people who just want to focus on making crazy music and, or good music. And they don't want to know how, how it works. Yeah, Yeah.
0: No, that, yeah. It, it's definitely been changing. I mean, rapidly. I mean, like me, for example, like I focus on, you know, writing, recording the music when it comes to mixing and mastering, like I'm like, I do not want to deal with that shit. Like I want it to be as simple as possible, you know. And you are yeah, like yeah, so...
1: let me pull up the gain reduction deluxe on the vocal track. Like <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Like and so it's it's awesome seeing, you know, like what you're doing, streamlining that process, making it as easy as possible because then you could focus on the creative, those tools, take care of the rest. You know, you just gotta know the basics and what you're doing. And yeah, it's it's fucking beautiful what what you've been doing for artists and anyone trying to you know navigate this fucking crazy fucking scene of music man
1: i always say like imagine a world where everyone is an expert at recording and mixing what then would matter and mm-hmm. the answer is the art so mm-hmm. when I am creating these products. And when I'm trying to basically level the playing field, that's my, that's my inevitable conclusion is that I've made it so easy for everybody to make awesome music that now the thing that matters is making awesome music. Mm -hmm. And so like, I I'm really into that idea of like passing the torch, like teach people all the things they need to know, give them all the tools that they need. And now let's see who's a great songwriter. Now let's Mm -hmm. see who has a great, uh, creative ability to put together different chords and melodies and things like that. That's the stuff that matters. And it's cool because it's kind of like a game. Like Mm -hmm. there's only 12 notes and there's only so many BPMs that are listenable that you're just really trying to solve like a puzzle in a game to make like the next valuable piece of music to listen to. So that's kind of a fun challenge and like i said i'm a problem solver i'm a troubleshooter so when i I look at that challenge and i'm like i'm gonna figure this out and uh (laughs) so that's what keeps me going you know
0: i love that man i really do love that and yeah i mean dude it's crazy we're already starting to approach the freaking hour mark i mean this has been freaking awesome so far man like (laughs) Just hearing the freaking stories, dude. Like I got chills too hearing about freaking the Delaware's product come up and stuff. And <laughs> dude, it, it's it's such so awesome. You know, um, watching everything that you you've been accomplishing, man. I mean, I've I've looked up the clips back in the day. You know, like you like in the studio with like Confide or like you know stuff like that. It's just oh, it's awesome, great, yeah. man. It's awesome, and um. Yeah, I guess, do you have any kind of like closing thoughts or, you know, anything you want the people to know? I mean, before, you know, we end this thing.
1: Sure. Um, Well, for anyone that's inspired by me, I would give you some advice, which would, like, if you want to do something, anything, my advice is always to start before you're ready. Uh, I, I say this a lot in different Podcasts, and I, you know, I've been saying this for years, but it's such a powerful idea in my mind. Like, I see so many people who get hung up on the they create excuses for themselves. You know, they say, "Oh, I I just need a little bit of startup capital," or "Oh, I just need to go to two years of college," or "Oh, if I just knew how this thing worked," or "Oh, if I just had this plugin," all that stuff people tell themselves. You're just getting in your own way. You're never going to be ready entirely you rise to the occasion you show up to the stage that you want to perform on and for me that's just means like you just need a little bit of a push sometimes like a little bit of confidence to get started but you just start and you may not be ready and you may not know all the answers but you'll figure them out and i i just I know that I inspire a lot of people because people write me emails and they tell me in text messages and, and DMs and all kinds of stuff. So I just, I want to inspire people even more and and get a fire lit under people's ass to like get mm-hmm. going. Like just, if you have that idea, you want to, you know, you want to start a recording studio, just start it, start it. D- don't even care about what your house looks like. Listen, I recorded bands with Huge record label budgets. And I had a house in Indiana, Connorsville, next to a cornfield with like purple and pink carpets and like <laughs> wallpaper. Nobody cared, man. It was, I mean, well, maybe they did care, but they didn't say anything about it. Yeah, yeah. But we made records, man. We made records in my in my living room. Uh, and it was great. It just, we got started. That's all. And that's all these other bands. that's what they did, too they might not have the best song of their career, but they did have 10 songs and they put those out and then they did 10 better songs and on and on. So yeah, I just like to get people started. I I feel like, uh, I'm a natural starter myself. I come up with tons of ideas and I start so many things and a lot of them don't get done, but Mm. the few that I, that I did start where like when I started JST and I didn't feel like I really knew how to make a software company Well, I'm glad I did start it because now we're doing pretty well.
0: Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So, you know what I
1: mean? So like if I would have just sat there and been like, well, let me read like five more books on like C++ programming, like, yeah, probably not would have gotten started. So Uh
0: yeah, start before you're ready. That'd be my, that's my sign off. Oh man. I love that, man. Oh dude, this has been so inspirational, man. And an absolute pleasure, dude. Where, where can they, uh, follow at and all that good stuff? I mean, I'll link it below as well, but yeah, where, where can we link?
1: Just, uh, Google Joey Sturgis. If you want to see any, see me talk about anything else. I have, I've got a lot of articles and podcasts and stuff up on the internet. It's easy to find. Um, also, um, follow my software company on Instagram. It's Joey Sturgis Tones. And also check out Nail the Mix. If you're interested in learning how to mix and you want to download the same multi-tracks that some of your biggest favorite artists used in their sessions, you can have the exact same tracks and watch the original mixing engineer show you how they used those tracks to mix the song.
0: Nailthemix.com. Hell yeah, man. Joey, it's been an absolute pleasure. I appreciate you coming on. This has been another episode of Mental Vacation Hour. Thank you, man. Yeah, thanks for having me.